Oh my gosh. There's so much love in the room right now. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Feel free to find your way to a seat. Elbow a neighbor on your way there. I mean high five. I meant high five, not elbow. There is like a precarious crack in this stage. So if I like fall through the stage, please don't laugh and just come help me, okay? <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Um, I don't know if they already said, but um, I believe the 12 days of Christmas starts tomorrow. Yes? So I hope all of you have your partridge that you're going to put in a pear tree. You guys, I don't even know what a partridge is. It's, I think it's a bird. It tweets, right? <laughs> I don't even know what a pear tree looks like. Actually, I think there's a pear tree in my backyard, so that might be a lie. <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, guys. Next week is going to be super fun. We're going to party it up. Um, as I said last week, I hope you have hand-knitted your sweaters already. You've sewed in the sequins and the glitter. It's going to be good. Um, I have to point out an injustice tonight. I have to point out something that some of you might feel very strongly. I don't actually know if anybody in this room fits in this category. But is there anybody in here whose birthday is on or near Christmas? I see you. I see you. I'm pointing out the injustice today that while you should be celebrated with cakes and candles, and people should be singing happy birthday to you, Marcus, and happy birthday to who else? To you, and you, and you. <laughs> While people should be singing happy birthday to you, they're singing jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Do, do, you, feel, do you feel overlooked, all of you, the birthday? Does anybody have a birthday on another holiday? Summer? <laughs> Doesn't count. Summer's not. St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> Okay, okay, all right. Do you feel overlooked? Do you feel forgotten in the sense of the holiday that people are celebrating and cheering even though it's your birthday? Um, I have the great privilege to have my birthday be uh, what I like to call Christmas in April. I like, uh, I, my, yes, my birthday, I call it Christmas in April because it's April 25th. Get it? Ah, ah. None of you think it's clever. Okay, well... For years and years and years, April 25th was my day, actually. How many of you have seen Miss Congeniality? I don't know if this is going to land, but the really kind of like girl that needs a little help, um, she was asked what a perfect date was, and she said April 25th because it's not too hot and it's not too cold. That's my day! April 25th is the best date on the calendar. Um, so for years, April 25th was my day, right? It's, I celebrate it. I take like a whole week, like... Uh, you, I need to go out to dinner, and I need to have presents, and I need to hang. It's, it's my week. And it was my week until the grand year of 2015. You want to know. 2015 was the year that my whole life changed. April 27th of 2015, I got to welcome into the world my nephew, Logan Sawyer Huskisson. There he is. He's sweet. He's now what, three, almost four, five, six, seven, eight, three. Um, so on that day, my life changed forever. And as I'm holding this little baby, he's my nephew. I have six, I have five nephews and one niece, so I have six nieces and nephews. Um, I was like, this is going to change everything for me, right? Because this week, this end of the week of April, this last week of April is no longer happy birthday, Courtney. 
It's happy birthday, baby Logan. My family doesn't care about me anymore. <laughs> I didn't expect that to hit me so hard. Okay, <laughs> they do. We just don't celebrate my birthday anymore. We're planning the birthday for Logan. And you know what? Honestly, I'm getting older now. At this point, I'm okay with people not singing happy birthday to me. I will gladly sing happy birthday to you, little Logan, because to me, he's something more precious, right? He's something more precious to me. And tonight, we are going to sing happy birthday to a couple of babies. <laughs> You're like, what, what? Yes, in our text tonight, a couple of babies are going to be born, and we are going to look through a happy birthday song. Are you ready to sing happy birthday? Key of C? Hmm. Okay, just kidding. I don't know what key that is. I don't have perfect pitch. <laughs> so t- this, uh, today in the book of Luke, uh, we've been looking at a couple songs in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote a story about Jesus, um, and he starts to tell the story. We saw last week... Um, We heard from Mary, right? So the mother of Jesus, Mary, who wasn't expected to have kids. She was a virgin. She sings her song about this baby that God has brought her. And then we get the story of this couple, and their names are Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they are super old, like super old. Imagine your grandparents. I don't know if I want to give you this image. Imagine your grandparents having a child. Yeah. Yeah disturbing, right? So <laughs> Zachary and Elizabeth, they're super old. They were really, really wanted to be parents. They really wanted to have kids, but they just couldn't, right? And then one day, one day Zachariah, he's a priest. So he goes to the temple and he's, he's doing his duty. He gets like this particular task he does, like can only happen once in a priest's lifetime. So he goes in the temple. He goes into the innermost room in the temple. He's sitting there. He's giving the prayers to the Lord and bam, this angel shows up. Ah, that's what he does. <laughs> He's like, oh man, ah, like everybody, I, I think I said this last week, but angels have got to be terrifying because every time an angel shows up, people like nearly pass out and die. They're so scary, you know? So this angel shows up, Zachariah freaks out. He says, you are going to have a child. And he's like, nope, super old, not going to happen. And the angel goes, actually, because you disbelieved, you didn't believe God, I'm going to make you mute and actually, we think he was actually also deaf because they couldn't communicate with other people back and forth. They had to, like, write him stuff. Um, so he, they made him mute and deaf. And he's like, you will stay that way until your wife gives birth to a son. And here's the deal. Your son is going to be amazing. He's going to be super important, not just for you guys, but he's going to be important for the people of Israel because he's going to be a prophet. And he's going to be a prophet that's going to tell something super important to the people of Israel. And so Zechariah leaves the temple. He can't talk. He can't hear. Meanwhile, at home, Elizabeth meets up with Mary, finds out that Mary is pregnant. Elizabeth is pregnant. They're like, oh, my gosh, we're both pregnant with, like, miracle babies. And then later down the line, nine months later, it's happy birthday to baby John. Baby John, that's his name. Zacharias and Elizabeth's son was named John. That's what the angel told them to call him. And it's birthday day, right? So it's, it's nine months. Zachariah has been mute for nine months. And he gets ready to open up his mouth. And he's going to sing happy birthday to his baby boy. And what does he sing? Here's what we find out. He says this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people 
It's an odd start to a happy birthday song. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us and the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered by the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, finally starts talking to John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. This seems like an odd song. And we're like, John, what are you singing? Happy birthday to who? This doesn't sound like a birthday song. He starts opening up, and he's going to proclaim about this child, this miraculous child. And instead, he starts singing about the promises of God. He starts singing about this Savior. It's really similar to last week where we saw Mary give this song of praise about this Savior. He says, he begins his song with, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He begins with a praise, with a thanksgiving And you would expect him to say, like, thank you, Lord, for bringing us this miraculous child. But he says, for he, for God, has visited and redeemed his people. How does he get that from a little baby? And we're going to see in Zachariah's song, as we look through it, as we look through this very strange happy birthday song, that the first thing that Zachariah recognizes is that praise belongs to the promise provider. Praise belongs to the promise provider. You've got notes with you today. Feel free to grab one off your seat. Fill in those notes there. It says, praise belongs to the promise provider. And the language of this song, just like Mary, Zechariah is pulling back from promises that he has been told all his life, that he studied in the scripture, right? This promise of salvation from the house of David, Right, that he spoke to the holy prophets of old, that it was promised in an oath to Father Abraham. Right, there's these promises that had come from long ago. And in the birth of this miraculous son, he starts singing about these promises um, because he realizes that this is the beginning of God bringing salvation to his people. Right, Zechariah was a priest. He read the scriptures. He knew them super well. He knows by heart the words that God spoke to Abraham. Actually, it would have been like really spotlighted for them because Zachariah and Elizabeth's situation of like super old, not supposed to have kids is almost exactly like Abraham and Sarah, the original patriarchs of the Hebrew people, right? Um, and so he is, he's, that, their situation, he's flashing back that promise to, to Abraham that they would have a son that would bless all nations. He's remembering the scriptures he's read about how King David was gonna have a son who's gonna have a king that sits on the throne forever. And so he begins to praise God for this promise of salvation that's beginning to come through. And what is, what is that promise? What is this salvation? And there's two really key words that we see right here at the beginning of this text. He says, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's visited and redeemed his people. What does this mean? This word visited is a word that means he's come to help. He's come to help. This is more than just like 
God showing up to your house one day so you can feed him dinner, right? This is not like Christmas time, holiday season. You know, you've got someone coming in for the holiday season, and so you, like, prepare the guest room. Have any of you ever had to? I had the biggest room slash bed in the house. So when a guest came, I got kicked out of my room. Does anybody else experience that? I feel you. There's nothing I love more than my bed, so it's just really heartbreaking when you have to like, okay, just me, okay. <laughs> so this is not like Jesus come to visit. You like pull out the special sheets and the special towel. We have like a reserve of towels that like I can't use during the year because they're like for the guests. I'm like, what is this, you know? <laughs> and you like make sure the room is ready. You're like, hey, breakfast is at like 10. We'll make it for you. Coffee. You're like, this is not how we invite guests. But <laughs> Like, you know, the guests that come, that you want to give them a restful time, this is, not, this is not what this word means. This is not the kind of visited we're talking about. This is the kind of visited where it's like, it's final season for you, you know? And on top of final season, your teacher, super kind, decided to add another project, like a surprise project. You're like, that's not a surprise, right? It's not a good surprise. And on top of that, you know, your practices have doubled. You know, your coach have up doubles because you have a tournament coming up, or maybe you have a major musical performance coming up, and so your conductor, your, your music teacher has upped practices, right? And so, and not to mention, stuff is going down at home. Like, I don't know what's happening. There's tension. Things are rough. I feel like walking on eggshells at home, like, being at home is really stressful. Being at school is really stressful. You've gotten like maybe four hours of sleep in the last like two days. Anybody been there? And it's like 2 a.m. and you're like weeping over your biology homework because you have a test in the morning and you're trying to remember all the steps of mitosis and you just can't remember? Anybody? I have wept over many a biology notes, okay? AP Bio is the hardest class I ever took. How many of you need help in that moment? Yes. This is the help of, like, someone, oh, I can't, oh, the day, I, like, one day, any of you AP students in here, I, I've never done anything harder than AP. I've been to college, I have a degree, and AP is still the hardest thing I've ever done. And it was, like, midnight, and I'm weeping over a project. I hate projects. Anybody? Yes. I'm, like, weeping over a project, and my mom usually just lets me do my thing, like, came in, and just, like, helped me. She just let me cry. She like glued some things on this poster board. I hate crafts. And she helped me glue stuff down. You know, it was, that was, that was the help that I needed, right? Do any of you need this kind of help in your life? Do you feel this need where you are at like your wits end? Like one more thing and it's, you're just snapped. This is what it means when he says the Lord has visited us. He hasn't come to sleep in your guest bedroom. He's come to help. He's come to save you. He's come to redeem you, which is the next word that we look at in this salvation. He says that he's visited us and he's redeemed his people. This word redeemed um, means to be bought back from the enemy. So it's like a war term. It's like a prisoner of war term. This is like you, like we're in battle with the enemy, you got captured, you got taken behind enemy lines, you're in prison, in the enemy prison, though they don't speak your language, they don't treat you well, you have no idea if your men know that you're missing or if they can even come and save you, your fellow soldiers, there's no hope, 
that they will rescue you. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. You're just a casualty of war. And for all you know, you're going to die in that prison. And then one day the jailer comes and he unlocks the doors and he unkeys your shackles and he just lets you walk out. And you're like, am I dreaming? What? And you ask him and you say, why? And he says, the ruler, the king of your land, the top dog, he paid a pretty penny. He paid an extreme amount of money to release you from jail. That's what this word means. This is the picture that Zachariah is giving us of what this baby Jesus is for mankind. That he has visited us. He's come to help. He's come to save you. He's come to pull you up when you can't pull yourself up. And he's come to bring you back from an enemy. He's come to redeem you from an enemy from this prison. He's thanking God that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now this begs the question, like, who is your enemy, right? Like, my enemy, is this the, that person that keeps spreading rumors about me and gossips about me in class? Or is my enemy my sibling that just won't stop, right? Is my enemy my parent or my step-parent that just won't get off my back? Who is our enemy? Who's our enemy? And we realize as we read the book of Luke, we're actually reading something in a massive story. It's called the Bible. It's one big unified story. And on the opening pages, we, we figure out who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. We figure out who our enemy is, who evil is. And so back in the garden with Adam and Eve and that crafty snake who tempts Adam and Eve to sin, God begins to curse the serpent, Satan, who tempted his people to evil. And this is what he says. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We see from the beginning of the story, in the beginning, this is what it was. In the beginning of the story, God looks at the snake and it says, you will always be enemies. The people of God and Satan and evil and sin and death will always be at war with one another. We will always be fighting, right, the sin and the evil inside of us. They're like, I don't want to be this way and I don't want to think this way and I don't want to do this to other people, but I find myself doing it. We will always be at war as we experience others who sin against us, who hurt us, who come against us. All right, we see the brokenness of this world, but from the very, very beginning, though a war has been initiated from page one, God's people are not left without a promise. And he finishes that little poem by saying he, capital like H-E, like the child of Eve, the one who will come, shall bruise the head of Satan, shall bruise the head of evil. And it says, and you shall bruise his heel. God had promised a one, someone who was going to come to crush sin and death and evil forever at a great price to himself. Being bit in the heel by a poisonous snake leads to death. <laughs> and he did. Jesus came and he lived and he died for us. And so Zechariah recognizes 
that what, John, what his baby is there for, what John is there for, is to proclaim about the one, about Jesus, about the one whom is the promise provider. And so he gives praise to God, and he calls this a great mercy. He says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. He calls this a great mercy. What does this word mercy mean? I'm kind of a, a big word nerd, which is why I like to go into these things. But this word mercy, he's actually pulling from a word in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, that was all over the place. And it's this word that requires you to clear your throat. Would you like to try it with me? <laughs> it's hesed. Your turn. Hesed. You gotta like, <sighs> it's cold season, please don't do it on anybody, okay? <laughs> right, so this word hesed means loyal love. It's this, it's this undying, unending love. It's this faithful love that continues even though it's been uh, rejected, right? Even though it's been insulted, this is a love that loves and loves and loves and loves no matter if the thing that it loves, loves it back. That's what this kind of love is. An unending love. This time of year, um, I love a lot of things at Christmas this time of year, but there is also a few things I hate. So I talked last week about how much I hate that song. What was it? Last Christmas I gave you my heart, and the very next day I gave it away. I loathe that song. Yes, I talked about that last week. The other thing I don't like during this time of year is this thing called Hallmark movies. I, I thoroughly dislike Hallmark movies. Hallmark movie haters? Hallmark movie lovers. They're the worst. They're the worst. Here's the thing. There's a lot of reasons why I don't like Hallmark movies, but mostly because they're cheesy, they're cheap, and they're completely unrealistic. Okay? Someone's heart is breaking over there. But I feel! <laughs> I love it! Uh, unrealistic expectations, that's what it is. But here's the thing. There's a reason why so many people love them this time of year. Right? There's something about the warmth of these Hallmark movies that people love. And the bottom line is this. It's love. People just want love. Right? They want this kind of love. They want to experience this beauty of some faithful, undying, like true, like rock solid love. We're looking for it. We're longing for it. We're aching for it. We cry about it in all of our music. We just want this love. And unlike the cheap love of a Hallmark movie, Zechariah points to a solid generations, like from the foundation of the earth type of love. Of God for his people, of God for us. So as you think about your holiday season, do you need this kind of love? Do you need to experience this kind of faithful love? And we find that 
this time of year in the baby Jesus. So Zechariah is singing a praise, right? He's praising God for being the promised provider and for his great mercy, for his salvation, for visiting us, for coming to help in our time of need, for redeeming us, for bringing us back from the enemy, from sin and death. But what are we saved for? What are we saved for? And so we look at this last line of his first chunk, and he says that we, being delivered by the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. There's a, a so that. There's a reason why God has saved his people, and it's so that they can live in holiness, right, and in righteousness. If enemy number one since the beginning from the garden, from the grave, <laughs> or is the grave, right? From the beginning, if enemy number one is sin and death and evil, God has freed us from being prisoners of those things, right? Jesus who lived, who died, who defeated death, rose to life. Death cannot keep him. Death is no longer our enemy. And so if the number one thing that none of us can escape is death, <laughs> if our number one fear is taken care of, then God has given us the freedom to live for him. To be free from those things. We're free to live for him, right? So that's the holiness. We're free to live right and upright and lives of integrity and righteousness. And we're free to live in a life where he, we recognize him as creator, as number one, we can live in the fear of God. A lot of us, we live in fear of ourself. Like, I'm number one. I decide what's right and wrong. I know what I'm doing. Like, I function, basically, as God in my life. Right? I know what I need. I know what I need to do. I'm going to live this way. And often it's, it's inward, right? It's selfish motives. We don't think about the other people around us, right? We don't think about the lives of our impact. Or some of us are on the other side. We live in fear of other people. You walk into this room today and you're looking around to see if people think you're cool or if you're being an embarrassment right now or if you dress similar or if like making sure that that person's not looking at you funny, right? We live in fear of other people's opinions and what they think of us. And it would crush some of us to hear that someone says something negative about us. And we live in that fear of other people. But what Jesus does as rightfully becoming king of the universe, <laughs> of the world, and as he has enabled us to have fear of him, to follow him, that I'm not a slave to my like wants and needs and what I think is right. I'm not a slave to anybody else. That I have to prove something to you. That I have to be a certain way with the people around me because he's freed us to live for him. And so in the middle of this song, we're faced with this question of who do you fear? Who do you fear? Who are you serving? Who are you living for? And we recognize that in Jesus, his salvation sets us free to serve God. His salvation sets us free to serve God. Whatever it is your tendency is, if your tendency is to be king of the hill, I'm God, I'm in charge, 
That's kind of where I lean the most. Or if your tendency is you're looking around to other people to get their approval, to make sure you're doing right by other people. Whatever it is, God has made it possible for us to live right for him. To say no to gossip and being cruel to other people. To say no to our selfishness. To say no to treating other people like objects. To say no to sexual sin and our desires. And to say yes to kindness. To say yes to forgiveness. To say yes to integrity and a life lived honestly. To say yes to self-discipline and right living. Because on our own, I can't do it. I'm a massive rule follower, and I still cannot live right. But Jesus makes it possible for me to live for him. And as we look at this baby Jesus, one of the questions I had to ask myself this week is, do you believe that your God is big enough to save you? Sometimes, guys, I am... I'm, an, I'm a slave to achievement. And I work hard, and I work trying to be better than everybody, and I work so that all of you think that I'm awesome. And it's in me all the time. And I have to <laughs> trust God that he's big enough to change that in me, to take me off the throne of my own heart to allow me to live for him. Fill in the blank for whatever your thing is. You trust that he's big enough to save you from it because ultimately his salvation sets us free to serve God. I can be free from others' opinions and approvals because I don't need it. Because Jesus' salvation has set me free to live for him. As we finish up the last half of this song, we finally get to the happy birthday piece. Most of the psalm is about a different baby, right? It's about Jesus, about God's salvation. Finally, Zechariah, he turns to his son John, and he begins to sing a song to John. And this is what he says. He says, And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah recognizes that he just gave birth, right? His wife gave birth to a prophet, but this prophet has a really specific task. This prophet points to the promise. This prophet points to Jesus. It's, happy birthday, John! You're a prophet! (laughs) And your whole life is going to be to pointing to this Jesus. He will speak the word of God to God's people, and he will prepare the way for Jesus' coming. And we see this in his life, right? John is born before Jesus. He spends his entire life pointing to Jesus, right? His... uh, when you continue reading through the book of Luke, like John's whole like sermon, his whole message is the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and be saved. This dude is legit. <laughs> he says, 
He, that's his whole job, is to point to Jesus. And we see that Zechariah is recognizing that line, right? He says that you go before the Lord and prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation, the forgiveness of their sins. He's actually just plagiarizing the Old Testament. Zechariah does a lot of plagiarizing of the Old Testament in here. He would call it being a good student, like some of you would, I'm sure. But no, he's just plagiarizing the Old Testament. And so he remembers this prophecy back in Isaiah where one will come. It says, in the wilderness, one will come to prepare the way of the Lord. To make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill shall be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord, i.e. Jesus, and will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's this picture that like, it doesn't matter if you are the scum of the earth, Right? and nobody cares and pays attention to you, and you have nothing to offer. It doesn't matter if you are king of all kings. Before the Lord, it's even ground. And we all stand before Jesus, and the message is clear. Repent. Salvation comes through forgiveness, and that is the word that John is prophesying about Jesus. Zechariah recognizes that this song, in this song, that his son is that promised prophet that will point to Jesus to reveal that salvation is through forgiveness. And again, again, he sings, it's because of the tender mercy of our God. That God loved us so much that he kept his promises through generations to save you and I from the things that we're in prison from, from the things that have captured us through his son, Jesus. That means salvation, the salvation that John will prophesy about is not about covering up. It's not about hiding. It's not about making it look like that we've got it all together, that we have our lives figured out, that it's something grand. It's about admitting, I can't do this. I need help. I am a sinner. I need the one who can visit me and redeem me, who can save me. And it's about trusting the one who is powerful enough to do that in us and who loves us in spite of how broken and messed up we are. The last lines of this song is like my favorite lines. I don't don't know if I'd say my favorite lines in all of scripture, but definitely in this book. And here's what he says. He says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I've lived here mostly my whole life. I've been here about 19 years, so almost like two decades I've lived here. And it doesn't matter how many times I see it, the sunrise over Mount Hood is the most beautiful thing. Any of you awake at that time of day? <laughs> it's beautiful, right? Like, I was sometimes, like, any of you, any drivers in here? Like, I almost get in a car wreck every time the sun is rising. I'm like, wow, it's so beautiful, <laughs> right? It's so beautiful. And, like, when the mountain is, like, casting a shadow, right, because of the sun, and the, the, it's pink, and it's, it's just so beautiful, right? I'm still awestruck. After 20 years of living here, every time the sun rises over Mount Hood, it's beautiful. And there's something in that, I think, that calls inside of us. Like, there's a reason why it, like, 
warms us, right, or brings a smile to our face or fills us with some kind of awe and wonder because I think there's some kind of innate hope in us that reminds us that no matter how dark the night has been, God's promise is the sun will always rise. And when we see that sunrise after a night, sometimes after nights that are really hard, right, we see that sunrise and we go, there's hope of light. There's hope of light. And Zechariah is pulling on these threads of light. He's not only just a good poet, a good songwriter, that was like, look at creation in the sunshine. Isn't it beautiful, right? No, he's, he's singing about that, but he's also drawing from the deep well of the scripture about this theme of light as hope, as hope to the people, as hope to the nations. And one of the first things he says is that the sunrise shall visit us from on high. And in this passage, he's talking about light as the hope of God visiting us. See, shall visit us from on high. That's the same word we talked about at the beginning of that visit of that help, of that help in time of need. Not just like the, hey, how are you? But like, I'm here to save you kind of help. He's visiting from on high and he's pulling actually from the scripture. We went through this book together as citizens. We went through Malachi. And there's this chunk in Malachi actually about John the Baptist, who is Zechariah's son. And right before that line about him, it says this. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. He's pulling from these deep thoughts that this sunrise is an example of God being with us. That it's a sunrise of righteousness, of healing, of hope, of help. And he says, it's here. Our hope and our help is here. Healing from brokenness and sin and shame. He continues with this theme of light in his song. He says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Again, he's pulling from these scriptures where he's pulling out that light drives out darkness. There's something we know about light innately. We know that when we flip a switch, the darkness will go out. When I was, I know I'm not the only one but I, was, I wasn't scared of the dark, but I didn't like going downstairs in the dark. Does that make sense? Am I the only one? Like, I could not go downstairs without turning on a light. There are scary things in the dark you never know, right? <laughs> and so we know that, like, the solution to our problem here is just turning on the light, right? We know that light drives out darkness, and that's not new, right? The scriptures show that. They talk about how light is driving out this darkness. And so he pulls from some other passages here, right? We already saw the the sunrise. In Isaiah 42, he says, I will give you a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out from the prison those who sit in darkness. He says, I've come for those who are covered in darkness, who are captives, and I've brought light for them. From the passage uh, we saw a little bit earlier today, he says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them a light has shown. Both of these passages from Isaiah are talking about this baby Jesus. They're talking about this one who would come, who again would crush evil, who would be light, who would displace the darkness and would be their hope. And lastly, even if you're like not a Christian, you've probably heard this psalm at some point, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And that famous line that says, even though I walk 
through the valley of the shadow of death. 